Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Today, I have the pleasure of having Ariel Lore on the podcast. She is a blogger and now has a new podcast out called Over the Influence. I came across your Instagram a few weeks before you messaged me, actually, and I followed you because I'm all about like gut health and healing and diet and all of that good stuff. And she just brought over the most sublime cookies that I've ever had. She's like, they're basically air. And I'm like, if this is what air tastes like, <laughs> because there's so few ingredients and they're really healthy. Um, then I went all of the air. Um, so, so good. And so I followed along because I really, really enjoyed all the recipes that you're posting and your fitness posts are obviously like goals. You. Um, your journey is incredible. And I think that um, it's hard when you see all of these like perfect curated feeds where everyone looks beautiful and obviously like you're super fit and you eat and I'm like not fit at all um I like do a Legree class I'm like I'm dead after Legree I'm like I can't function (laughs) um so you know and and I'd like to be more fit and all of that but then sometimes I feel overwhelmed when I'm looking at just like one picture after another not of you just like on my feed of all Mm -hmm. of these people who like are super fit and obviously I'm a mom of two kids so I don't have the luxury of like working out whenever I want Um, but when I started to read and look more into you before I followed, I realized that you're sober, which is amazing. Um, you're sober, your husband's sober. We both met our spouses in a similar way. I met my husband in AA. Yeah. That oftentimes gets a lot of like a horrible rap. It gets a really bad rap. I just listened to your episode with your husband, Mm -hmm. so it's fresh in my mind. But yeah, I mean... I don't know what it is about it. You see so many relationships in the recovery world, people that met that way, and they've had long, meaningful relationships. So yeah, yeah, there are some that don't work out, just like in life, there are some that don't work out. And I guess you're dealing with people who, you know, are quote unquote, sick people. But you know, as well as I do that, like, living your life, in an active recovery and with spirituality, like you're on a totally different plane. Mm -hmm. So to have a partner that's doing that same thing is like beyond. So yeah, yeah. I get like an early, early sobriety maybe because you're not quite like, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm like a proponent for it. Yeah, so how many years sober were you when you guys started dating? I was two years sober when we started dating and he was like 18. Yes. My <laughs> husband was five. I was like one. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a but lot I more time like, than you know, I men maybe develop emotionally a little bit slower. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think that's okay. Yeah. We also have a huge age gap, Evan and I. Yeah. And so we get a lot of shit for that too. And yeah. often people are like, oh, your daughters are so beautiful. And I'm like, they think I'm your daughter. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take it as I'm getting, you know, approaching 30. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, at least for he and I, we kind of decided at the very beginning, like, it's either going to be an issue or it's not. Mm -hmm. Because our age difference is very vast. Yeah, ours is 15, almost 16 years. Yeah, but we really don't feel it. I don't know if you guys feel like this either. Not at all. I... I look at him and I don't see somebody of a certain age. I see my husband, the man that I love. And 
Um, I definitely never expected to like be attracted to and or marry somebody twice my age. Same. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it happened and it's it's like a beautiful thing that like we can see beyond the external. Um, and so we decided at the beginning, like people are going to say whatever they're going to say. And yeah. he, especially, it was a bigger deal for him because he didn't want to look like the creepy predator. So I Same had to make Evan. the first yeah. move and, um, and yeah, we were like, you know, we're beyond a point of caring what people think really. Yeah. And you have him. to know your truth. And right. I think that now, especially now that Evan is so successful and the business is doing so well, I get even more looks like, oh, you're just like the gold digger young wife. Yeah. And it's like he had nothing. I was actually the provider for us when wow. we first got together. I was like girl boss. Like I worked full time. He was just starting his business. He had just lost his entire life savings a couple of years before that. And, and so it's like, you know what, you're going to get judgment from wherever the hell you get judgment for. And I love that you were saying like, I just fell in love with my husband. And that is so true. There's so many things that, um, that I now have a deep appreciation for because he's introduced me to them like good music. I grew up on shitty music. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we don't really have musicians quite like they had them yes exactly yeah Yeah. same thing yeah so he's introduced me to amazing music and that's become it became a shared interest but the beauty of meeting somebody in aa is that even though the details of our stories are different often we have so many similarities and so we related on that level totally and i feel that way with anybody in sobriety you know i was I was like nervous coming here because I'm such a big fan of your podcast, obviously. And I just, you know, I get like anxious, excited. Yeah. Um, And then I was like, wait, this is like, these are my peeps. Like you're sober. And I was thinking about it and it's like, you can go anywhere in the world and walk into a room full of sober people Mm -hmm. and not know them and, and still have that bond. Yeah. And it's like kindred souls and, um, you know, camaraderie. And so that's what I had with my husband definitely from the start. And, you know, like in the world of recovery, there's no, there are no age limits. I mean, people are friends with people who are 80 and I have friends that are 20. And as a newcomer, can I advise you to find the people who have over 10 years sober and (laughs) hang on to them for dear life for those first couple of years? That is my biggest piece of advice for anybody that's new is, don't hang out with the kids that have 30 days. Hang out with the people who have years and years of sobriety and just follow them around for a bit. You yeah, know, I think absolutely. that that's really important. So I want to hear more about your story because I don't know the details of what led you into getting sober. And So I, I grew up on the East Coast in Rhode Island. I had a very uneventful childhood. I had no like none of the typical things that you see in people who end up getting addicted to mm-hmm. drugs or alcohol. You know, I had no trauma. I had... I grew up in a good family. Both my parents, they're still together after like 40 years. So rare. Went to Your private story school. is so rare. I know. <laughs> I know. There were like none of those factors. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, at like 17, I started drinking. And it was the kind of thing where like, as I remember so clearly my first drink, it was like, I finally felt at ease, like you hear mm-hmm. people say often. And I didn't even realize that up until that point, I had felt uneasy. Um, but that feeling was everything to me. And all of a sudden, 
all of my aspirations and my priorities and everything fell to the wayside. Like I was a good student. I got into a good college. I had, you know, plans and um, all of a sudden it just became about partying and it was all I could see. I had tunnel vision, um, partying and my boyfriend at the time. And that was, uh, that was kind of another addiction. Um, but yeah, so I was drinking and I got into cocaine that year and, um, that kind of just started what was 10 years of chaos And, you know, I went to that college for a semester and I left because I wanted to be closer to the boyfriend and I got really into drinking and cocaine and my parents sent me to like an outpatient treatment because they didn't know what to do. I was like 19 at this point and um, they put me on Anabuse, which is like the Mm -hmm. drug that, but I would, I would take it it was it was an outpatient at a mental hospital so it was like very so you're like cool i'll sit with the people who have schizophrenia yeah it was like really hardcore and i was like so i had only been drinking and using for like two years and i hadn't had any consequences really Mm -hmm. and i was just like i do not belong here and so i would spit the antabuse out and uh and i was getting drug tested so i couldn't do cocaine and lo and behold i drank and without that you know, extra, um, adrenaline or whatever from the cocaine, I, I blacked out and I got a DUI. I almost hit a cop head on and I was like, no, I'm taking an abuse. Like I'm not, (laughs) I was like mess. So I went to my first rehab that was at 19. And, um, and then it was just like every few years I could, I could kind of hold it together take a few classes, get a job, you know, mostly like bartending or something where I could drink. Yeah. And um, I was in terrible relationships and every couple of years shit would hit the fan and I would go to rehab. And I ended up, I did kind of a geographic where I went to Florida for a few years because I was in rehab there. Um, my best friend in Florida actually got murdered and I found her and that was, oh my gosh. that was like my one big teeth trauma that I had in my life and that really was kind of a turning point and it was like I could either deal with it or I could really numb out and obviously I didn't have really any any coping skills or life skills up to that point because I had been already self-medicating and so my parents pulled me out of Florida Um, my drinking got really bad And I just, I was living with them again. I didn't have any direction. I was totally aimless. And my other friend lived in California and she said, why don't you come out here and um, just come for vacation. And I came out here and I never left. And so I moved out to Orange County. And at that point, um, it was alcohol, cocaine, Adderall, and then benzos became a huge part of my story. And that's really what brought me to my knees because I was taking a lot of benzos, then I would run out and I would have seizures um, or I would have seizures even when I took them. And I was so like in my disease that like I would go out to dinner or go to go get drinks with friends, have a seizure at the restaurant or the bar. They would have to like put me in the car, carry me home. I would come to... And everybody would be gone and I would just start drinking again. Mm -hmm. And it did not ever cross my mind that like this is problematic and this doesn't happen to normal people. Um, So I 
I went to a detox and I was like, well, it's just the Xanax. That's the problem. I just need to get off the Xanax. That was me with heroin. It's just the heroin. Yeah. Nothing else is the problem. Drinking, Stein. And and mind you, up until that point, like I had gone to another rehab and I was like, I'm a love addict. That's the problem. Mm. And they were all like, (laughs) yes, yes, you're a love addict. Like we're so manipulative, right? Yes. And um, And we believe our own lies and the stories that we tell ourselves. Exactly. Yes. So that rehab where I said I was a love addict, I was drinking on the plane on the way home. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so I went to detox. I got off the Xanax. I had some seizures and detox. And it was, and then I was back to, you know, my old ways as soon as I got back. And long story short, what happened was my boyfriend at the time couldn't deal with it anymore and he was drinking and using like me but he could kind of function and hold it together and he was like this is a sinking ship and I I got to get out and so he moved out and I just went into like a two-month blackout January and February of 2014 I really don't remember much um, except that the only contact with any human that I had was with my neighbor who was a drug dealer and my ex took all the furniture and everything. I had like a bed mm-hmm. and I didn't eat because I couldn't leave my apartment. I was so afraid to have any kind of human contact. I was just like, I, I it's like I was circling the drain. And when my boyfriend moved out, he, I really hit bottom. Like he had kind of been keeping me from hitting bottom. And then when he left, that was it. And um, so I, so my parents couldn't get in touch with me. They did a welfare check. So mm-hmm. they called the West Hollywood police and they came to my apartment and they saw me face down through the window and I was unresponsive. They took me to the hospital or they broke through my window, took me to the hospital. I somehow ripped the things out and got out and went back. Ugh, and at yeah. that point I was like snorting dust off the floor, you know, I had yeah. complete psychosis. And um, my, my family got on a plane. They hired kind of an interventionist. Um, and they flew out and showed up on my doorstep and I dropped and had another seizure and then that was it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the long version. Isn't it amazing? Like, okay, so you didn't have trauma. I had a lot of trauma, but then we go and traumatize ourselves. Like we, we really, there's so much that we end up doing to ourselves and that's why, um, you know, my hope is that I see all these young people going into rehab. I got sober when I was 19. You were fairly young too. You were in your 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like if you can do this young and stop piling up the trauma after trauma after trauma that we do to ourselves and, and to the people around us, it's like we're so much better off. And there's so much that um, that we then have to look at, right? We're just like adding to our fourth steps for forever. It's like, oh, there's one more thing. It's like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I I see all of those things as um, those were just kind of the side effects that came Mm -hmm. with me getting my my fix, my medication. So at the time, I really didn't see it as anything problematic. You know, if, if I started to feel shame or feel you know, any kind of feelings about what was happening, I would just use again and numb it out. But, you know, conversely, um, I'm grateful that I had most of those experiences. I mean, some of it I wouldn't wish on anybody, but it, it made me, you know, I don't think I would have gotten sober if it hadn't gotten so bad because I'm 
I, I know some people who are like, yeah, you know, it started to like affect my work. So I stopped and I'm like, yeah, that's not me. No, I me either. My like, husband got a DUI. <laughs> he stopped. I was like, Jesus, yeah. I had to go to jail. Like yes. it was like, I needed to go get as bad as it possibly right. could get because I would do anything to get a fix. I would yeah. li- literally go to the ends of the earth to get exactly. loaded, yeah. you know, and like rinsing cottons and sniffing the floor and mm-hmm. doing whatever I, that I could to get high. Um, and that's, you know, eventually what brought me to my knees. So I think that, um, a lot of people want to know in early recovery, um, you know, we go from just so not being okay with life, right? That's why we're getting loaded to all of a sudden we have to deal with everything. Like Mm -hmm. there's no like weaning into life. Like it's just there when you get sober. What are some of the, the best things that you did for yourself or things that you learned along the way um, to deal with the obstacles that come up in early recovery that, that we're so used to numbing out from. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was, I was in treatment for a long time. I was in a treatment environment for about a year. So same here. Yeah. yeah so there was a lot of therapy yeah. and a lot of community. You know, I was around, I felt safe because I was around, like-minded people and like we were talking about before kind of like you know kindred spirits or kindred souls whatever you want to call it who had been through what I had been through and who understood what I was going through and understood how hard it is to learn how to have to live sober for the first time it's like you get sober and all of a sudden like you need to relearn like life skills and just how to be like a functioning member of society Society. yeah and everything is magnified every emotion and feeling just feels like 10 10 times times worse yeah Yeah. I say the same thing Yeah. yeah so you know it was really helpful I was fortunate to be in that position where I was kind of I had a safety net around me but even if people don't have that you know they can find find their people, find their community, yeah. there, there are programs, there's AA, there, um, where they can get guidance from people who have been through it before and just really rely heavily on that and like be at their mercy. Yeah. And, you know, I had to, humility is a huge part of it too. I had to admit that like, I didn't know anything no. and yeah, my, exactly. my way of running my life mm-hmm. got me face down on my yep. apartment floor. Like, <laughs> yep. You snorting things off. Yes. I remember one of my counselors being like, you know nothing. Normal right. people don't do heroin. Normal people don't do this. Like you need to surrender. And I remember just going, why is it so hard? Because it is scary. And so I think that um, that learning to be okay with suffering is mm-hmm. brutal. And I think that um, we're on the same page, although our paths may be different. And I'd be interested to hear more about what yours is. But, yours is, but the the um, spiritual foundation, mm-hmm. like that is the game changer. That has totally. been the therapy is great. Talking it out is great. All of those things are great. But having a firm spiritual practice is what changed my recovery. That's the reason why I believe I have eight years sober yeah, from absolutely. as a heroin addict. We can't run our own lives. We need to rely on something else to guide us. And yes, like therapy and other people in recovery are really helpful. But ultimately, for me too, it's that connection with something way bigger than all of us that I can rely on and that I trust. And um, that's what gets me through anything hard and painful and has allowed me to be able to sit with that 
and not try to like change it. Like I was talking about anxiety before, you know, it's something that I still, like I was anxious to come here. I still suffer with anxiety. That's just how I'm wired, I think. And in the past, I would obviously take a pill or do something. And in in my early sobriety, I would be like, I have to change this. What are things that I can, can I tap myself to like make me not feel? And then I just learned to like, like trust that something bigger than me, it's Mm -hmm. got my back. I can get through this, just sit with it. And, and with that faith or that connection, you know, it's, it makes like kind of the waves of life a little bit less turbulent, if that makes any sense. Like it's just more, it's just calmer. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, anyone who says getting on the spiritual path, I say this all the time. Anybody who says getting on the spiritual path and the sober path is the easy path is lying. Mm -hmm. Living life recovered is not an easy task, but it's so worth it. When, I mean, how amazing was it to be present for your wedding? Oh my God. That was... (laughs) To be able to wake up the next morning and to remember every single, like it almost makes me like teary eyed because I'm like having that experience sober and being Mm -hmm. able to be a sober wife and a sober mother. I know you don't have kids, but a sober wife. I have a fur kid. uh, Yes. (laughs) A sober friend and, and all of those things. It's like, I'll take it. I'll take all of the hard moments. And I feel like, um, a lot, you know, we live in a, in a very, um, religious area up here it's mm-hmm. the majority of people identify as christian and i look at all these people who are constantly talking about like how great heaven is going to be but when i think about it i think going back to source energy love universe god whatever you want to call it that's kind of when we're just like in a void where like everything's great and you know no more pain and no more suffering and i'm like what we're experiencing down here as the human experience is the joy is the pain is suffering is all of those all of those feelings and emotions and that's what makes life beautiful yeah and without experiencing the suffering and and the negative stuff you can't experience all of the real pure joy yes all of those moments where you're like this is it when i'm sitting Mm -hmm. down with my family at the end of the day and we're connecting and loving each other Mm -hmm. and we have that eye-to-eye contact and that heart-to-heart moments i'm like this is what it's all about and had i been drinking two or three glasses of wine at the end of the night i would have missed this i would have missed this i remember the first the first time that i really had to like lean into that spirituality and faith um and I'm not religious you know but I do believe in God yeah um it's just a God of my understanding and (laughs) the first time that I really had to rely on that was when I broke up with that boyfriend that I was with we ended up getting back together Mm -hmm. and he tried to get sober and I and when I was about a year sober we broke up and I was like physically in pain it was the first time that I had experienced and I have, I do have like abandonment issues. So that was like very triggering for me. And I remember, um, lying in bed and being like in physical pain, like writhing and so uncomfortable. And just this thought popped into my head, like that said, like, there's something beautiful on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And I trusted that. And like, and there was, (laughs) we have to move through the weeds. And there's been many times in my eight years where I've 
I've almost physically died. That's true. But also that I felt like I was dying, like parts Mm -hmm. of me were dying. And those are the hardest moments to stay present through it. But when you do the growth on the other side, it's so beautiful and it's so profound. And those moments, there are moments that I wouldn't, you know, I I wouldn't, I would do it all over again. I would do it all over again just to experience, you know, when you come out on the other side of that. And then hopefully we hold on to it, right? Like we don't forget, you know, the things, the lessons learned yeah. and all of that and, and, and keep moving forward. So I want to um, talk to you a bit about your podcast and okay. like the intention <laughs> behind it and where it's been going and, and your community and what you're hoping for your community and things like that. Yeah. So community is really important to me. Um, obviously community is a huge part of my recovery and, when I started my Instagram, I I started it as like a fitness accountability thing. And I was, I didn't show my face or tell anyone my name. It was very private until it started kind of taking off. And I was like, oh, wait, I have a community here too. And it's really, um, you know, I, I have kind of a hard time with like the word influencer. Me too. <laughs> I always hate that people are like, what do you do? I'm like, Ugh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to like rip on it. I mean, I guess I just, I don't see myself as trying to influence people. You're just sharing your journey. Right. It's yeah. like I, I, on a, on a recovery level, I feel like my purpose is to help people get sober, help mm-hmm. people through hard times. And then on like a professional level, I feel like my purpose is to draw from that experience and draw from my own struggles, like with my health and, um, eating and fitness and all of that and help people on that level. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you want to call that like influencing, uh, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that you just kind of get put into a category. So I was, um, just talking about this earlier today. Like I went, I spent the last eight years of my recovery in, um, basically hiding like I had an Instagram that had a little bit of a following like 30,000 followers because just of my old reality mm-hmm. show and all of the news and all that but it's mainly pictures of my kids and stuff like that and then I really felt this calling to like write a book and do the podcast and do all of these things and then all of a sudden I'm talking to Jessica and she goes well really we're building like a whole brand and you're going to become like an influencer I'm like oh <laughs> but okay. you're doing it and it's happening we're, really yeah fast, it right? happened really it's, fast it's so amazing. I wasn't expecting the like pickup that we got from the podcast podcast I was mm-hmm. like okay maybe like 2,000 people will like listen I wasn't expecting over four episodes like 50,000 like it's, it's just amazing. it's the numbers it blew up mm-hmm. um but I believe that that's because of we're sharing more than just what everybody else is sharing which yeah. is just like look what I'm wearing and this is the lipstick I wear and and I think <laughs> I think like an article just came out yesterday in the Atlantic about how like the Instagram aesthetic is over mm. and how younger influencers I guess we were, were not considered the younger no. influencers anymore <laughs> are just posting their iPhone pictures like real time no filters no yeah. nothing and that's what people are connecting with so everything every trend culturally is going to peak and then it's going to be yeah. out. And I think like end of last year and right now is kind of like the end of that. And yeah. people are really craving 
something relatable and something yes, real. Yes, the dialogue. That, yeah. You know, if you look at my page right now for the last couple of months, it looks better than it did. It <laughs> doesn't look like yours. Yours looks amazing. I look look at yours. And I'm like, this is incredible. How do I get mine to look like this? Yeah, I but just apparently don't understand. that's not good anymore. So. <laughs> I don't know. It I looks really good to me. It's aesthetically pleasing. But then when you open my content and you actually read what I'm posting, it's mm-hmm. like I feel like that engagement, you know, and then a lot of because of what I'm posting is so personal many people switch into my dms and they're just like wow Mm -hmm. i just really want to share with you and i'm sure you've gotten that too and how amazing is that when someone writes to you and is like you inspired me to do this and it's just like oh it's amazing and it's interesting that you said that because i i didn't really think about it that way i since i am in this space you know a lot of value is placed on numbers unfortunately Mm -hmm. and I lately I've been like, oh my God, engagement is down. And it's not just me, it's across Instagram. But I'm like, what am I doing that people aren't connecting with? But then I realize like, oh yeah, my DMs like blow Blow up and people don't want to talk about it publicly on a comment thread. They want to like have that one-on-one. So many people, like especially when I'm talking about things like recovery or gut health, like Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about Hot topic. (laughs) (laughs) Like I have pooping problems. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Like, I have struggled with this. I destroyed my gut when I yeah. did heroin, like yeah. just ruined. And this has your... been so hard on me mm-hmm. for the last, I don't even know now, four years. I've been trying to find the solution. And then I found out that the probiotics I was taking weren't working because I have this genetic mutation that just like doesn't even like allow your gut to absorb it. And I need to start this other supplement. And I'm just like learning and learning and learning. But anytime I do a live or talk about poop, People, people, people love it. they love it. They they're DMing me, going, "Oh my god, I have the same issue." And what was that supplement you're taking? And I need to go get that right now. And da 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 da. So yeah, it's like my DMs are always just filled with like so many. You know, I'm doing the owl cleanse right now. I yes. know you did that. I know. I felt really bad bringing you cookies today. Well, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is okay. But. I I ate one because I just I don't think you can cleanse in podcasts. Like I didn't eat for two days. And then today before I I record, like we were saying, multiple episodes in a day just because it works better for me and my schedule. And it's just like, I'm like, I need to eat carbs. Like yeah. carbs fuel me. Yes. Like I cannot deal without carbs. And so drinking bone broth for two days. No, I'm, and then I was wondering actually is, because I did that cleanse too. Uh, and by day three, I was like psychotic and not functional (laughs) (laughs) i got in a huge fight with evan this morning evan if you're listening i'm sorry i fucking lost my mind i was hyperventilating crying because i was so i just i haven't eaten in three days and i just feel like oh my god i'm gonna lose my mind it's really hard it's really it's so hard although the cookie help help, like i have i got like a little boost of energy i drank the golden milk I like crave it now. Yeah, like I want to know good. why is that not in our Erwan? I I don't they know. They only and have the matcha. The matcha is the matcha really is good. good too. Golden so I would like just I would live off of that all yeah. week, like just as a like in between. Like I'd finish my workout, come mm-hmm. home, drink my matcha. I could probably drink too much of that matcha. Yeah. Like I you oh, know yeah. half of one is good. I feel like <laughs> I'm awake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but any more would probably be overkill. But the golden milk is freaking insane. So good. I know. Yes. I know. They need to be selling those. I'm going on a retreat with them next weekend. Oh, nice. So yes. hopefully, maybe I'll learn the recipe. I know that they're doing like cooking classes and oh, stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Or maybe they're just going to teach you how to cook like with the broths. Yeah. 
and mm. stuff like that. We'll see. That's cool that they're doing like a little, or they're just a part of the retreat. No, they're actually putting it on. Oh, nice. So um, they rented like a farmhouse up there and they're doing like a ritual weekend. So it's going to oh. be a lot of meditation and yoga. And oh, we all need that. Yeah. Yeah. That dis- and again, like disconnection from people. social media yes. and connection to real people yeah, where you can exactly. have that intimate you know, relationship. And I'm so grateful for this platform too, because it's like you reached out to me and then we had a guest on earlier who reached out to me because of the podcast. And it's like these relationships that are empowering and healthy and helpful wouldn't be happening if it was just over social media. Yeah, This gives us an ability to connect on a level that I feel like is really profound and intimate. And I'm really super grateful for the for that opportunity would you rather smell terrible but you can't smell it or your partner smell terrible and you have to smell it every day i think i would rather my partner smell it (laughs) i mean my partner smell terrible terrible and you have to smell it every day that you smell i'm like very sorry I I, i think when i was like an alcoholic and addict and a chain smoker and I was dirty all the time yeah. so now I'm like very sensitive about that yes. like I have to smell good all the time <laughs> I could deal with that I could spray some perfume up my nose <laughs> I totally get it I already know the answer too would you rather be filthy rich and suffer from depression or be poor but happy poor but happy poor but happy sure. would you rather have your body found on a pile of sex toys or a pile of drugs oh that's a tough one I mean, I guess I would say sex toys. Me too. (laughs) Like you died from sex toys. I don't understand how that's possible, but I would take that one. Yeah, I would take that over drugs. I would totally take it. (laughs) I would totally take it. Um, Let's see. Okay, here's another one. Would you rather, okay, say you're not married and the, who's like your celebrity crush? Oh my God. I have, well, I have a massive crush on Jason Bateman. Okay. And I feel like, well, my husband probably won't listen to this. They're kind of friends. <laughs> and like, I see him at events and oh, now my like... husband's going to be like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So would you ha- rather have sex with Jason? And it was like the worst, horrible, like just horrible sex. And you walk it away like so unsatisfied or have sex with someone like the most unattractive person you could ever imagine. But it was like the best sex of your life. I feel like I have to say the unattractive one. <laughs> I outed myself with Jason Bateman. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, we all have our crushes, right? <laughs> like our like one pass. Thank you so much Thank for coming on. For I'm me. so appreciative of you driving all the way out oh here God, in the middle of, of nowhere. <laughs> I get to listen to podcasts on the way. <laughs> and so it is. <laughs> <laughs>